Welcome to the Right Take Podcast, news, ideas, and conversations at the intersection of politics and culture, a project of the David Horowitz Freedom Center. I will be your host, Mark Tapson. Welcome back to the Right Take Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Tapson. Thank you for joining me here. I'm back from my pilgrimage to the Holy Land, which I referenced in my last episode. I caught something on the flight back, naturally, that could be a cold or maybe it's COVID, who knows. But in any case, I hope my voice holds up through this episode. Visiting Israel for the first time was an amazing experience, but I'm eager to get back in the saddle, back in the routine, and to get fresh episodes of The Right Take underway. So let's get to it. In a recent CNN special, former President Barack Obama told his interviewer, the anti-Semitic propagandist Christian Amanpour, that he believes watching Fox News or listening to right-wing radio skews facts and makes people fearful of each other. Obama said, quote, Partly because of where people are getting their information these days, the silo wing of information, if you're watching Fox News or following some right-wing radio host or getting Facebook feeds within the bubble, the reality is different than if you read the New York Times or watch your program, by which he meant Christian Amanpour's program. He goes on to say, quote, And such fundamentally different facts, or what they think to be facts, and the worldviews are so skewed one direction or another, it's very hard for democracy to work, unquote. He added that misinformation and the constant demonization of the other side of the political fence are making people fearful of each other. Wow, the hypocrisy and projection in that statement are breathtaking, aren't they? Suggesting that Fox News is biased, but that CNN, the New York Times, and other mainstream media outlets are not, takes incredible gall. Suggesting that right-wing media demonize their political opponents and make people fearful, but left-wing media do not, is just mind-boggling gaslighting. Admittedly, hypocrisy and projection are the Democrat way. We know it, and the Democrats themselves know it. So does Obama think he can say with a straight face that right-wing media are biased and ideological, but that left-wing media are not? As for the bubble he mentioned, no one lives more in a partisan bubble than a Democrat. I know this for a fact because I used to live in that bubble many years ago when I was a Democrat. I lived in San Francisco. I did not know a single conservative. I worked in the fields of academia and the arts, and I believed that liberal views were normal and right-wing views were abnormal and extremist. It was only when I moved to Los Angeles and began working in Hollywood and accidentally meeting and working with conservatives that it gradually dawned on me that I had even been in a bubble. And so I began questioning everything I had passively and unwittingly bought into. I also gradually realized that because the left dominates the media and all other cultural institutions, Democrats are far less knowledgeable about the rights positions than the other way around. That's a generalization, of course, but one that generally holds true. But Obama wants America to think that it's the right that lives in a bubble fortified by far-right media extremism. While I'm sure there are some on the right who might occupy such a bubble, the problem is far more prevalent on the left, where people are completely incapable of recognizing that a leftist bubble even exists. About the media. In the complete collapse of American trust in institutions of all kinds, especially since the pandemic, there is arguably no institution that has squandered more confidence from the American people than the blatantly biased news media. 
I'm including Fox News, too, which has lost the trust of true conservatives who know that Fox leans only barely right. They're hardly the radical far-right extremist outlet that the left loves to paint them as, especially with Tucker Carlson gone. Apart from a couple of other conservative voices on the network, like Greg Gutfeld, you'd be hard-pressed to make a distinction between Fox and any other mainstream media outlet. So, for Obama to try to gaslight Christian Amanpour's already far-left audience into believing that Fox News and right-wing radio are the source of our current political polarization would be comical if it weren't so outrageously false. It's the leftist domination of the lying, propagandistic, mainstream media, including the co-opting of Fox News, that has intentionally fomented the rancorous political polarization of our nation. And about that propaganda and media, on today's episode, I'm going to speak with a White House correspondent who happens to be openly Christian and conservative, which is a little atypical for someone in the White House press room. And he has an interesting insider's perspective on the media and its bias and propaganda and how the White House disseminates lies and manipulates people through a colluding media. So please stay with us here at the intersection of politics and culture. You don't want to miss this conversation. And don't forget to subscribe to The Right Take so that you don't miss any of the important conversations we're having here. Remember, if you like what you hear, please leave a review. It really helps. We'll be right back with my guest after this musical interlude that I never tire of hearing. Don't touch that dial. today at the intersection of politics and culture is Dr. Anthony Harper, principal White House correspondent with Intermountain Christian News and the Israel News Service Newsreel, exposing and reporting on anti-Semitism and other human rights violations. Dr. Harper is an Air Force veteran and holds a BA in journalism and media studies, but also a PhD in psychology, which I imagine gives him some interesting insights into what goes on in the White House press room. Dr. Harper, welcome to the Right Take podcast. It's great to join you. Dr. Harper, tell us about Intermountain Christian News, which can be found online at imcnews.org. How and why did you launch that? What's what's its mission? What do you cover there? Please fill us in on all that. Okay. Uh, In in 2002, uh, it's been in uh, production, so over 20 years. And uh, the the reason why I got into this uh, was I was talking with uh, some friends that told me about a Christian newspaper association. I learned about the Christian Newspaper Association and talked with the director of that. And he had been hoping that someone would start a Christian newspaper in our Boise, Idaho, a Treasure Valley, Idaho area. And so it was an answer to his prayer to see this, this happen. And uh, it's miraculous that we've been going for over 20 years. And it, it's the longest running, by the way, Christian newspaper in the entire Intermountain region. So... Uh, what what uh, what a miracle to have it going this long is uh, in digital form primarily right now and uh, hoping that uh, we'll be able to get to the support to put it back into regular print production and even expand the the production but uh, the reason for starting this was um, not only to you know provide a uh, a voice for uh, church people uh, uh, Christian people in our area way to connect people, um, providing a platform for uh, 
um, for events and so forth, uh, for uh, encourage, uh, encouraging um, other people. And, and it, it's a bit of a great opportunity for people to express themselves in, in this, being the only Christian news, newspaper, by the way, in our area, uh, to my knowledge. So um, it, it has been a wonderful experience overall, uh, very challenging at times, but uh, I had no idea back in 2002 that this would take me to the White House. Yes. Well, congratulations on 20 years of successful uh, journalism in that with that outlet. Uh, and what about Newsreel News from Israel? Tell us a little bit about that, too. Uh, Newsreel is um, a couple years as far as in uh, production. It is uh, very unique in that uh, there is a web uh, web um, there is a web app. Actually, there's an app for your phone. Uh, newsreel.com is the website. It's a very, um, very good news source. Uh, it has a lot of news from a different, different uh, parts of the world, by the way, that impact Israel. So they, they run my news reports from the White House. But uh, I would encourage people to you know, check out that newsreel, newsreel.com. It's, it's just N-E-W-S, news, and then uh, real, uh, R-A-E-L, in this case kind of play on uh, mixing Israel and news, so newsreel.com. And by the way, our news website, uh, Intermountain Christian News, is uh, imcnews.org. Uh, people can, of course, do a search Google, uh, Yahoo, whatever, um, for uh, either one of them, the Intermountain Christian News or Newsreel. Great. And as you and I were talking about in a phone call earlier, you were in Israel just a month or so ago, uh, the end of May, uh, weren't you? What were you covering there in Jerusalem? Yes, I, I was. I was blessed to be in Jerusalem, and uh, I was covering uh, first of all the Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast. This is a yearly event in Jerusalem. Uh, many evangelical and there are Jewish people that join in there as well. Anyone that supports Israel, this was held at the Waldorf uh, Astoria Hotel in Jerusalem. Very nice hotel, by the way. But this was a very special day of a couple of days uh, that had guest speakers from different parts of the world. Um, Joel Rosenberg was one of them, but Michelle Bachman was there. Uh, I did an interview with Michelle Bachman, had uh, interviews with uh, former Knesset member um, Robert Illitoff, and, and had met with a Christian Broadcasting Network re reporter, Chris Mitchell, there. Uh, several interviews that are on our YouTube channel, by the way. We're also on Rumble. Um, people, when they go to our website, imcnews.org, there's a YouTube and a Rumble banner that people can click on for that. And um, this this event was very special for me, being the first one I've attended. Uh, the Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast um, had uh, people that were close. There was one person, Dr. Mike Evans, that's been a good friend with with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu for quite some time. And so he shared his experiences with Prime Minister Netanyahu in the early days. Um, there were just a lot of people uh, that, you know, they're so very supportive of Israel. They had breakout sessions, different uh, mini sessions on different topics. Uh, Joe Rosenberg, a fam famous author, was there uh, regarding Israel issues. And um, it, it was, it was quite quite an experience, a very 
blessed, blessed experience. And uh, while we were there in Jerusalem, there was a gay pride parade happening, which uh, our hotel was basically, uh, and the people in, in the hotel weren't able to, to get to their taxis or whatever for about, uh, the, the streets were shut down for about six to eight hours on uh, one of the days I was there. Um, but uh, it, it was uh, a wonderful time. Now, I want to, to highlight what happened when I actually, when I first arrived into Israel was at the Ben-Gurion Airport. I spontaneously started singing the Israeli national anthem, Hot Tikva, and there were a crowd of people there that were clapping and singing <laughs> along with me. <laughs> That's great. You do have a bit of a singing and uh, musical background, don't you? Well, I do. I'm a musician. So um, in 2018, I, I received a second uh, undergraduate degree in uh, journalism, media studies within the communication department, and a minor in music. Um, I actually started out in opera and music theater, and I've had a lot of great experiences singing across the nation. Uh, what, what's the media atmosphere like there in Israel from your, your experience in May? I, I mean, were you able to have... Did you feel like you had easier access to some Israeli political figures than you might have even here in the States uh, because you're sympathetic to Israel? Or uh, I don't know, what, what was the, your sense of the vibe there in terms of the media atmosphere? Well, um, because I've had a very special connection with uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, th that has really opened up some doors for them trusting in me and i had in interviews with several israel leaders uh, at that time i was trying to get my interview with the prime minister but uh, his staff people didn't have enough time by the time they heard about my request they didn't have time to make it happen um, i believe that is going to happen my my interview with the prime minister on on the the topic of the rise of anti-semitism what's israel facing right now but um I had very special experiences at the Knesset uh, with the, the interviews. And one really stood out to me was the Knesset member Simka Rotman. And, and he is the, the principal one in the Knesset that is dealing with a judicial reform topic. And we talked about the protests happening in Israel. People may have heard about the protests. There have been, I learned that there are billboards uh, around Tel Aviv, around Jerusalem that were advocating for overthrow of the Netanyahu government, portraying um, Prime Minister Netanyahu as a dictator. Uh, I, I learned recently the previous prime minister, last name of Olmert, has been leading some protests and was attempting to shut down operations at the Ben-Gurion airport. Um, this previous prime minister, Olmert, Olmert is really um, causing a lot of problems for the prime minister and there are many others that have been, been after the prime minister on several fronts, uh, accusing him of a lot of things. Kind of reminds me of President Trump's situation being accused and uh, them being uh, attacked, uh, you know, as far as uh, their, their character and whatsoever. And, and um, so it was, it was very unique experience at the Knesset, not only with the Israel leaders, but um, I had uh, attended a special event that actually, I wish I would have been there a little bit earlier because the prime minister was there for this special um, group of people um, is, is uh, 
is very was very support is very supportive of Israel, and uh, I just have blinked out just briefly about what that that group that the name of that is, but I do uh, know that uh, people can contact me if they have any any questions about this. I have all those the inter- interviews on our YouTube channel of these encounters with the Knesset and uh, elsewhere. So it, it was overall great and. And because of the previous prime minister experience, uh, you know, like I said earlier, uh, a lot of uh, trust that I've developed in them. And I, by the way, did actually have um, a question in a press meeting with Prime Minister Netanyahu at the time, uh, 2016, after the after the elections, the results for um, Donald Trump winning the presidential election. I had a press question to the prime minister at his annual uh, meeting for journalists. And that, that question was, uh, what is response to uh, evangelical Christians in America that were very supportive of, of uh, President Trump that helped him win? And I, I said that they were rallied around a s- certain Jewish scripture, Second Chronicles 714. And uh, he, he responded with his favorite scripture from Jonah. Um, the Second Chronicles 7.14 is the National Day of Prayer verse uh, about prayer and repentance. And then his scripture was related to, uh, that he quoted was, be strong and of good courage from the book of Jonah. Um, he said how much he appreciated the evangelical Christian support and that, uh, you know, all that, he, that he's appreciated for all that Christians have done for Israel over the years. Uh, it was a very special event. And by the way, that video of me asking that question is on our YouTube channel. If just people just type in uh, my name, Anthony Harper, and Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, several things come up. Yeah, great. That's great that you had a chance to um, ask him a question directly. What about being a White House correspondent? How does one go about becoming a White House correspondent? What what kinds of qualifications do they require? And... Uh, how, as an openly uh, Christian news service, did you manage to get assigned as a White House correspondent under Barack Obama, no less? Well, it, it is um, it, it is a process that has changed over three administrations. During the Obama time, I started at the White House. My first time was in 2011, in the summer of 2011, going to press meetings. And actually, o- Obama was in a couple of the press meetings that I attended there. I have never seen President Biden, and he has never attended any of my press meetings. Uh, that would be quite quite a shock if he showed up in a press meeting. But um, uh, o- President Obama was very well, very charismatic in many ways, and uh, he engaged people. Um, President Biden is not very good at engaging with the press. He's not as open, um, and and the most entertaining was President Trump. His his interaction with the press was quite quite entertaining, and but you know getting into the White House was uh, it wasn't as difficult as I thought it would be. Um, I asked my senator from my state, uh, this I called the Senator Rich's office, Senator James Rich is as a primary, uh, the one the one in the Senate that is um, combating anti-Semitism. He's he's a key player in all Israel and anti-Semitism issues, um, so his press secretary, uh, his press person, told me about how to get into the White House and just uh, with an email address and 
how the procedure was and the phone number. And so I just called the White House and asked, uh, what do I need to do to uh, attend the White House press meetings? And they told me I need to, you know, give them uh, proof of where I'm working, a news source. Um, there is uh, a process where you have to go through Secret Service background checks, but you have to submit to them your news website, your contact information, um, a, a little bit of a history about your news outlet. And I, I did that and I got in fairly easily. Um, but it's, it's contrary to what is happening now with the Biden administration. Um, there was a much more uh, ease for me to get into press meetings back during the Obama administration and Trump administration. But now the Biden administration has made a lot of rules that I didn't have to experience in previous administrations. Uh, there is not, there's not that transparency that I've, I've heard about from uh, Biden's press people, but I haven't really seen it. Um, but um, there, the, the, as far as the rules for the press, for a hard pass, which is the coveted press pass, uh, I waited almost 12 years to get that. Uh, but, and during the Trump time, they only had one requirement for, for a hard pass holder. Um, for that coveted press, press, press pass, all they had to do was attend 50% of, of the meetings, of the press meetings. Whereas the current administration, the Biden administration, is putting up a lot more, um, put more, more obst obstacles to uh, jump over. Um, I, I believe very discriminatory and that they require a congressional press pass or a Supreme Court press pass in order to renew your White House pass. Neither the Trump administration or the Obama administration required that of me. Um, so, and I wasn't aware that they ever required of any of the, the hard pass holders. So this needs to be dealt with regarding the discriminatory, the, these demands. And here's one other troublesome issue about press pass access now at the White House. There's a statement in what the White House issued about submitting to more scrutiny by Secret Service, and they would deem whether you or your news source is a threat to the president, vice president, or to the, um, the White House complex. Now, because they don't define what risk is, that it could be arbitrarily used to exclude conservative media. Because it seems like they could uh, use that as an excuse to weed out those journalists who are not uh, ideologically compatible. Is that uh, your sense of it? That's my sense of it very clearly. And that requirement was not, you, you said that requirement was not present in the previous two administrations, Obama and Trump. It was not. Yeah, very troublesome. You know, what, what is happening here about the uh, freedom of the press issues, uh, the, the assault on many constitutional issues that I've witnessed. And, and regarding the press meetings now, I feel like I'm in a propaganda camp. I know it was that, was that way during the Obama time as well. Um, President Obama was very charismatic, uh, you know, would joke, and he had a lot more energy than the current president.
imagine during the Obama administration that you were probably surrounded in the press room uh, and elsewhere by members of the media who could probably barely contain their reverence for him uh, as the left's messiah. Did you feel like a, a little bit of a fish out of water in that context? Oh, well, I did. You know, and, and regarding people worshiping as a messiah, there's been, I had seen some news stories about people um, talking about him as a messiah figure. Uh, although this happened during the Trump administration, too, because of the way he, he was very supportive of Israel more than um, many other president, presidents have ever been supportive of. Uh, but And there was a tendency to kind of see Trump as a messiah type of figure to save Israel. Um, but I was in Israel my first time during the Obama administration, 2013. I went with the, as part of the White House press corps escorted into the Palestinian headquarters, escorted into uh, a civic auditorium, a type of event, public event for uh, Obama at that time, and into the prime minister's residence, some press meetings. So I I had a very special uh, experience. And the the inside, I'd never been to Ramallah, to the Palestinian uh, headquarters. And um, then, but the, the Biden administration, and President Biden, with his trip to Israel last time, there there wasn't that uh, ease of the press for access to his press events in in contrast with Obama uh, when I was there in 2013. What kinds of questions were you able to ask Obama or his press secretary at the time? And were your questions uh, dealt with to your satisfaction, or were you treated a little bit? Uh, like a little bit of an irritant, like maybe a thorn in their side. What uh, what was your experience in the Obama years? Well, initially, my first question getting called on, uh, take, get, uh, Jay Carty gave me the last question of the day to the Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. That day went really well. I was really appreciated uh, by other reporters that day. So a super experience. And And my question was, in in light of the Secretary of Agriculture talking about serious drought in our nation and needing to get uh, cooperation with the Congress to provide relief to the farmers, I asked the question about Governor Perry. Uh, and, and what my question was, what is the president's response to uh, Governor Perry, who had a time of prayer and fasting in these national disasters of drought? And so this elicited a very humorous response from the Secretary of Agriculture. And that being, he said, I, I pray every night. I get down on my knees and pray every night. And honestly, I would do a rain dance if that would help. <laughs> and so because I, he mentioned a rain dance, the American Atheist Group complained to the White House, what's this all about, this reporter? Uh, and it's question about prayer. And... Um, so the White House, from my understanding, didn't uh, didn't they didn't condemn the question. It was just really received very humorously, and and the press secretary Jay Carney really thought it thought it, I think it was quite funny. But uh, um, you know what what is so ironic about this is that uh, you know they're complaining about the need for rain and serious drought problem, and so when I walk away from the White House after my question. Uh, just about an hour and a half to two hours, a lightning streak goes across the sky when I start walking away from the White House. 
and I get drenched in rain for two and a half hours. And it was not only there, but it was also in New York City at the same time. And uh, so that is more, that's more than a coincidence as the news outlets was talking about. But people can just type in a Google search, uh, Tom Vilsack rain dance question at the White House. It, it, was, it was very funny when he, when he talked about being able to do a rain dance. And um, so I was very popular that day uh, with other reporters thanking me for the sound bite. They were giving me high fives, uh, patting me on the back. I was quite popular, and uh, Yahoo News was so excited about this sound bite. Um, so that was, so that was one. Uh, you know, that that was my good experience. I, I was only called on twice during the Obama administration, and I would say my next question was total the opposite response. I would love to explain how what happened there, and that is, um, I get. I get asked the opportunity to, I get um, called on by Jay Carney to ask a question. And I, I had heard in the news that President Obama was not very good at um, referring to the Declaration of Independence that we're endowed by our creator, that he would skip past the word creator, not to give any reference to God, giving these, these God-given these, these rights of life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. So I thought this is a perfect opportunity for me to bring up this concern. So I, instead of saying creator, I said, and a lot of evangelical Christians believe, they believe Jesus is a creator, but um, th that's uh, not an evangelical, you know, belief. But I was going to say um, that what I, what I did ask was, um, what is President's response to the Christian churches in America uh, that believe that our rights of life, liberty, and uh, pursuit of happiness come from Jesus, not men. I talked about the moral decline in our nation and about these rights coming from, from Jesus, not men. And, and um, it elicited a angry response. I mean, the, the look on the press secretary face, it's almost like he could spit nails. I mean, he was so angry. And this is the world stage at the White House. And I, I, I can see in, in his expression, how dare you ask this type of a question here in the press room? And uh, there was silence extreme. There was just, just very special silence in the room. It was really hard to explain. But um, I don't know if the name of Jesus had ever been brought up in the press room like this in an honorable way. I've heard a lot of curse words regarding God and and his and him as well, uh, taking God's name in vain. But um, this might have been one of the most unique experiences, bringing this question up in attention. So there's a um, there's a report in the Blaze, Glenn Beck's news service, did a story about the Jesus question, and whereas the previous question uh, with that had a good response is in the World Net Daily. And what, what about during the Trump years? How did that compare with uh, your time during the Obama years? Well, um, I had some great experiences during the, during the Trump time. Um, they, they were really, they, they treated me really well for a while anyway. Um, I, I did get called on um, during the time of the first week of the Trump administration. That was uh, 
back in you know January uh, 2017, I I got a question. Uh, I think I don't know if it was the last. It wasn't the last question of the day, but to Sean Spicer, the press secretary, and you know I, I want to explain about in the press room there there are 49 seats. There's seven rows of seven seats. The names of the different news outlets are engraved at the bottom of those seats, but I'm the underdog. So um, I don't have a, there's no name in great for our news outlet. And uh, so I, I sit in someone else's seat, prominently on the third row in the center of uh, Sean Spicer's attention. Uh, there was a reporter there that was trying to talk me out of sitting there. And, and she said, you realize you're sitting in someone's seats, in someone's seat. And I said, well, I will move if they show up. And I was praying they wouldn't because this, this is like a, high-profile press meeting the first week of the Trump administration. So Sean Spicer points to me, and I had a hard time believing first that it was really me he was calling on. The reporter next to me nudged me and said, he's calling on you. So I asked my question about this anti-Semitic UN agency called UNRWA. My question specifically was, what is the president's response to the misuse of U.S. tax dollars going into a UN agency that is inciting kids to violence against the Jews. What is his response to Knesset members, Sharon Haskell, Dr. Elisa Levy, and Yehuda Glick? And so the because of mentioning these Knesset member names, I learned the following day that the, the phones are ringing off the hook in their offices. But... Um, uh, so that so Sean Spicer said, you know, we don't have a secretary of state. We don't have things in place to deal with this issue right now. Um, so the, my question went viral in Jerusalem. The, the following day, it upset a U.N. official, this UNRWA official. And by the way, UNRWA, that's pronunciation of U.N.R.W.A. stands for the United Nations Relief Works Agency. And this agency was humanitarian when the, Israel became a nation, 1948, but it quickly became a propaganda uh, place. So in the schools, their textbooks portray the land as Palestine, not Israel. They, they refer to Israel as the occupier. So fueling this hatred of the Jewish people and very alarming that these textbooks still have this going on. Their, their curriculum is a curriculum of hate and the Biden administration right now is funding that. Uh, whereas, when I after I asked this question, it got all it got the attention of President Trump, and uh, eventually led this these investigative journalism experiences on this issue led to President Trump defunding that UN agency. Over it was uh, it was quite the experience, and I I think I was on cloud nine that day uh, that you know hearing that it went viral and uh, it was played on primetime television. People can see that uh, on our website by just typing in uh, my name and UNRWA. Um, and uh, it, the, the TV channel is at that time was channel 20, I believe. That was the Hebrew channel. So it, it was quite something. Excellent. And, and what about covering the Biden administration uh, from within the White House press room, what what's it, what has that been like? Especially, uh, you know, again representing a conservative Christian perspective, what's it like dealing with a White House press propagandist like Corinne Jean Pierre? 
boy, do I have some stories to tell you there. But I, I forgot to mention, I, I did I briefly mention the Trump administration. It was going good for me in the Trump administration until I asked a question and reported on the peace plan of him and Jared Kushner. I had, I had a, an interview with Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Um, of course, as I had mentioned, I was called by Sean Spicer, had an interview with him and his deputy press secretary, Hogan Gidley. Uh, actually, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was a deputy press secretary when I had an interview with her at the White House. But um, Hogan Gidley talked about fake news issues in my interview with him. And, uh, you know, I know President Trump had a lot of concerns about fake news, that those two words, fake news, got a lot of attention during his administration. But a very alarming that I wasn't treated very well after I reported on the problem with the peace plan. Uh, Michelle Bachman had serious concerns about when this came out, January 28, 2020, um, that, and she was trying to warn him of not to support a plan to divide Israel. There is a map showing a Palestinian state in the heartland of Israel. And she said at that time, uh, when he released this plan, it, things started picking up uh, some more problems for him politically. Uh, the COVID virus came out at the, at the same time, I think it was as well. But there were a lot of strange things happening after he supported dividing Israel. I don't think he ever really believed that the Palestinians would agree to this, but uh, never, nevertheless, it was some some attempt to uh, to bring some false sense of, of peace. I think, and the Abraham Accords, I'm convinced, would not have happened if uh, President Trump and Jared Kushner had not proposed this plan. Um, so that that's going to sum up, you know, the end of the Trump administration. How things changed the way I was treated there. But uh, the Biden administration, of course, is a lot more, uh, more, I was, it is anti-Israel right now. Uh, Even though uh, President Biden says that he started a task force to combat anti-Semitism, there's a lot of hypocrisy, uh, Mark, in this current administration. I know there's hypocrisy in probably every administration, but but when uh, President Biden says, I've started a task force, I'm unique in doing this task force on combating anti-Semitism, but yet he has an anti-Semitic organization on that task force called CARE, which is the, I believe, the Council on American and Islamic Relations. And not to mention that uh, there's also issues of concerns of uh, the Biden administration funding anti-Semitic organizations like that UNRWA that I'd mentioned, also the Palestinian Authority, the UNESCO, the UN agency. And I want to comment about the Palestinian Authority. They have a pay for slave program. Referred to people can search on that, but it's in violation of the Taylor Force Act. It it doesn't make and it doesn't um it doesn't it's not clear to to me that he's combating anti-Semitism when when he uh, gives all this money to the Palestinian Authority and these other anti-Semitic organizations and doesn't demand that they clean up their act, that they stop all references of anti-Semitism before they get the money and you know, no, no discipline in, in that if they do it again, that all money's cut off permanently. But yeah, so I'm, I'm really 
I'm really uh, seeing a lot of hypocrisy here on the matter of how the Biden administration deals with Israel. Of course, they're making deals with Iran or seeking a deal with Iran. They're not condemning BDS. That's the boycott, divestment, and sanctions of Israeli products. And they're not they're not doing what they can to support the restoration of that Jewish cemetery in Vilnius, Lithuania. And uh, I can say for those who want to know the history of Lithuania and all the anti-Semitism there, um, there's a website, savevilna.org. And uh, during the Hitler's time, Lithuanian government people killed a lot of Jewish people. You know, for Vilnius, Lithuania used to be uh, majority Jewish at one time. But they, uh, the Lithuanian government exterminated a lot of them, killed massive graves in the forests. It is, it is so shocking what happened during that time. And the Russians came in and then moved the graves of the Jewish people. And they built a sports pavilion over the, over the graves of the Jews. So disrespectful. And there's been, the Lithuanian government has been wanting to, to uh, d- develop another convention, uh, the convention center actually over the, the graves of this Jewish people and they're not really protecting it. some stories to tell about Corinne Jean-Pierre, and uh, uh, I was wondering if you wanted to share one or two of those. Well, I would love to. to now, really hot in the news was you know the, the Roe v. Wade decision in the Supreme Court. So um, she canceled the press meetings that day in June of 2022, and I was upset. Other reporters were upset, but I went up to her office, and I had a face-to-face confrontation with her. I asked her, what about a child's right to life? And what is your response to our Christian audience? And she seemed to turn away in shame. She would not say anything. She walked away from me. And that was it. You know, I had, I've for several times, I've yelled out a few questions at the White House. What about a child's right to life? Specifically one day at the White House with Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre, she was bragging about um, codifying Roe. And uh, to, to continue uh, killing children in, in abortion. And so I did yell out. I had felt so crucial at this time. I yelled out, what about a child's right to life? Fox News picked up on that. There's a story about the unnamed reporter. I am the unnamed reporter People search for Fox News and the unnamed reporter. But Fox News has not allowed me to to explain what happened. I mean, as far as the background to all this and why I yelled that question out, no opportunity with Fox News to talk about my confrontation with her on the day of Roe v. Wade. Um, she, was a, she changed a lot when she became press secretary. As before, when she was deputy press secretary, I could talk with her. And uh, I could joke with her, and uh, it seems like all this power went to her head, and she just cuts me off. She doesn't want to meet with me. She doesn't want to talk with me. She, she's never called on me, and a lot of reporters are really upset with her, for she favors 
certain reporters ignores the back row usually unless it's a famous reporter sitting on the back row um and uh i think you know many have wanted to have a mutiny or some some sort i've been there actually in a news reporter protest i think that the gateway pundit did an article about the protest and some other news sources at the white house when i was there and um it has been such a very intense troublesome time for me mark there with that press secretary um she is very disturbed in many ways um i have a doctorate degree in psychology so i've made a lot of observations of behavior uh, through the you know, the bomb administration trump and this one and i think it's worthy of a book but um uh, there's some, some very unique experiences of stirring things up there but this press secretary is go ahead Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I know you can't really make a definitive diagnosis without actually having sat down with her and evaluating her as a psychologist would. But as a doctor of psychology, w what are the impressions that you have about Corinne Jean-Pierre or, in fact, anybody in the current administration that you may have personally interacted with, like, say, Kamala Harris? Uh, has that doctorate given you kind of some insights into... Uh, these figures that maybe the average person wouldn't have? Oh, yes, it is. It has been very helpful. Um, you know, I, I would say narc narcissism is one trait that I see in her and in President Biden and many there. Uh, I see um, really a state of delusion. It's, it's like they're uh, living in fantasy world. They really can't deal with reality. They're obsessed on several le levels. Uh, I've been to the, to the you know the press meeting when the press secretary was dealing with the national coming out month, and she was talking about her personal experiences, uh, you know, with uh, being uh, lesbian and in a relationship, and talking about her mother not able to accept her 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 in this situation, and about how eventually her mother came around to her side, and that wasn't any place in the press room. A lot of the reporters were just really, I think, confused about this. Her using that platform to just reveal all of her personal problems and about this issue. And she just seems to be obsessed with her LGBTQ agenda as well as the President Biden. And uh, I just think she's very disturbed. And uh, it's a really form of mental illness. And I want to, I can, I can talk about the history of this topic, because I had a couple interviews with some psychiatrists talking about her and President Biden. There is on her YouTube. And you're talking about, sorry, you're, you're talking about Corinne Jean-Pierre or Kamala Harris now at this point? I'm talking about uh, uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre uh, and, and, and Biden uh, and, uh, and and the Harris. Uh, oper uh, you know, I, I do want to make some comments about uh, Kamala Harris because I've had an encounter with her. But, but at first about... Um, the, the psychiatrist is Dr. Larry Banta. Here recently, people do a search for Dr. Larry Banta and myself, Anthony Harper. That in that interview, he talks about the history of the American Psychiatric Association, and and how they removed uh, homosexuality for the from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. Um, he, he comments about, uh, and 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 I had talked about the observations I've seen with Biden as far as Parkinson's disease and uh, 
dementia, but the psychiatrist meant, uh, said that there's clearly something significantly wrong with him. I think a lot of people know that they would at least agree that there's some kind of a dementia going on, strange behavior of uh, Biden. And I've seen, I've observed his behavior there with the way he walks across the White House lawn, very, very stiff. And I've actually seen a Parkinson symptom in him one day when he was involuntarily violently shaking his right arm at a press event. And of course, I've seen him trip and fall down, uh, you know, on times in different videos, uh, Air Force One. But there's there's one Parkinson symptom. It's called bradykinesia. Bradykinesia is the slowness of movement in the muscles. And it's very pronounced in his face. People may have observed the way his his speech is slurred or sped up. He gets confused. Um, and I had seen this kind of a dementia gaze in a, in a, in a video when he, he was debating President Trump. When he turned his head, there was this dementia gaze that I've seen in other patients uh, when he turned his head. So um, there have been there's been overwhelming um, amount of incidences to, uh, you know, for my uh, opinion on that for professionally. But um so as far as, you know, Corinne Jean-Pierre, uh, she, as I mentioned, there, to me, there's some sign of mental illness on, on her part. Uh, she has this flickering of her eyelids. I don't know if you or other people have noticed that when she's in the press room, um, she wears a certain eyeliner or whatever. And she just, she has this nervous behavior. It's like she really can't handle telling the truth and she's not, she's really, um, trying to hide uh, in, in many ways. And, and with Kamala Harris, I had an up-close uh, up encounter with her in the hallway, an upper press. I was only like a um, foot and a half, two feet away from Kamala Harris. And I heard that kind of hyena, that giggle that she had, she's been famous for. And I believe that's a, a sign of a psychotic problem. Uh, disconnect with reality. She's using... She's using this kind of a laughter to uh, to deal with stress. She she really is hiding a lot. Um, Kamala Harris, Jean Pierre, and uh, you know, President Biden—they're all hiding a lot and very hypocritic. And so that's you know from a professional or psychological view, that's what I've seen. I think a lot of I think the common person can see this behavior easily as well. This is a question that I ask of some of my guests, and I think you'd be uh, certainly the right person to ask of it, or ask it of. From your perspective in the belly of the beast there in Washington, D.C., do you believe we're in a time of spiritual warfare? Uh, and how do you see that playing out in the environment that you work in? Oh, yeah, I would definitely agree that we are in a spiritual warfare in that, I would say uh, the the Biden White House has a war is involved with the war on God, and I, I have read uh, David Horowitz's book. I really love that book, uh, Final Battle: How the Next Election Could Be Our Last. And he has a Dark Agenda book, wonderful book about the uh, this this issue, you know, about a serious uh, impact for America. But um, it is clearly a spiritual warfare. 
this war against God, against our Judeo-Christian heritage. I know that uh, David Horowitz sees that very clearly. This assault is, is I think, more than ever before. I, I have seen, you know, as far as the three administrations at the White House, uh, dramatically just so much worse uh, for the Biden administration because for the first time uh, in the White House, this administration has normalized same-sex marriage. I was at the White House when uh, there was, um, you know, just actually the day prior to this, uh, I had some arguments with the Deputy Press Secretary, Andrew Bates, regarding same-sex marriage. And he told me the religious community, uh, a majority of the religious community supports same-sex marriage. And I say, no, that's not true. We were arguing about statistics. I would say, no, the Mormons, the LDS don't accept this. A lot of evangelical Christians don't accept this. But this administration is, I would say, the most troublesome of any administration I can think of in history uh, for the fabric of the family has been really uh, um, abolished in many ways. If you think about the foundation of what people have known for the family, um, you know, a man and woman in this relationship. And uh, so the Biden administration, the first to undermine all that, and then as well as, you know, sanctity of life issues. I know that many of his administrations have supported abortion in some way. Uh, but this administration, I think, is more, more abusive of children than ever before. We've got the child mutilation issue with transgender, um, you know, surgery. Uh, we have the, how the drugs, the hormones impact children. And uh, what about sex trafficking across the border or sex trafficking in general? The Biden administration seems to be more anti-child than any administration ever. Uh, also more anti-marriage uh, and family and uh, more anti-Israel than any other uh, administration before. And the abolition of the family is at the very heart of Marxist theory, isn't it? It is. I think about Hitler's time, about uh, you know, having the child being raised by the government. And that's what I see in the Biden administration. So that the, the Biden administration, the government, is supposed to have you know, control over the child. And, and, and we see that clearly in the attempts of the Biden administration uh, to, for, you know, for schools to indoctrinate children with a certain ideology. And of course, you know, we, we don't have prayer in the schools like we used to. That's been removed a long time ago. But this, this administration is very destructive to the family and uh, disrespectful of God. Uh, I, I see just so much hypocrisy on this matter. And, and uh, you know, uh, President Biden, when he met the Catholic Pope, many people were so um, upset that the Pope did not discipline him on the issues of communion and, and so forth. And I, I had an interview with one of the Catholic priests, Father Frank Pavone, that the Pope defrocked. Uh, and he talked about his experience, a very pro-life activist, a priest, and uh, other priests refused to grant com uh, communion to President Biden because they, they say that he's not spiritually qualified to take communion. Uh, let me uh, circle back for a moment uh, 
I sound like, gee, I sound like one of the Biden administration's press secretaries there, didn't I, for a moment? I've heard that phrase before. <laughs> yes. Uh, let me circle back to you, the, the issues that you were having um, with the Biden administration in terms of maintaining your press pass. How do you think that's going to work out? Do you think you'll be able to resolve that? What's uh, And is there a deadline on that? What's the status of, of that? Well, hopefully very soon uh, that there will be a good resolution for this. The deadline is July 31st. My press pass expires July 31st, uh, 2023 here and very troublesome, by the way. Now, it's just not me, but there are many other reporters that are impacted by this that wouldn't be able to get their uh, hard passes, this coveted press pass renewed. Uh, for, you know, the, the Biden administration has demanded that you have a congressional press pass or a Supreme Court press pass. Now, for the Supreme Court press pass, you have to be a major, you have, your focus has to be majorly, majorly on covering the Supreme Court. Well, I'm not there to cover the Supreme Court. My news beat is the White House. So that, that makes it impossible for me to fulfill my White House responsibilities if I had a Supreme Court uh, press pass. Now, as far as the congressional press passes, there are two passes you can get from the Senate side, the Senate press gallery or the House press gallery. They are inundated right now, Mark, with requests. The White House has not given Congress um, these um, gallery press offices enough time to respond by the July 31st deadline. So my, my hope is at least on a minimum basis, they would extend six months to give Congress the time to process these applications. Now, I'm, I'm, I have been turned down myself for a Congressional House press pass because our news organization is funded by donations. And I see that discriminatory very clearly when they, they prefer advertiser-supported uh, news outlets. Now, I do know that The Guardian is, is one news source that asks for donations. Uh, this has been a popular thing, crowdfunded thing. But my press pass is in jeopardy if I can't meet these deadlines. Uh, if, if they grant that six-month exemption, you know, that would be a, a big relief to me and other reporters. I, I know several reporters that, that cannot get this congressional press pass. We, we will be praying for a positive resolution to that. Dr. Harper, what is the best way for people to keep up with what you're doing and where you're doing it? Well, you know, we have the website I mentioned, imcnews.org. We're also on uh, Rumble. Uh, we have Twitter, uh, Facebook, um, Instagram, as well as, um, well, actually, the Instagram is, is not a news thing. That's uh, uh, Intermountain Christian News doesn't really have specific news grant, uh, Instagram, but we do have uh, True Social and Getter. Um, those are the outlets we have right now. People can contact us through our website imcnews.org um, and um, you know call our phone number for if they have any any questions there's a there's a, a giving portal on our website there's a donate button people can support good news reporting there at the white house and uh, we we need a continually good voice uh, mark there at the white house that isn't afraid i would say i i have the most challenging questions of any reporter at the white house because of all the human rights issues that i deal with and and it's just not Israel issues on anti-Semitism. It's and the children's rights. But uh, think about uh, the women's rights in Afghanistan. I have a woman reporter friend from. Uh, she tells me about her being mistreated by the Taliban, 
the Uyghurs the Chinese, in the Chinese internment camps, Uyghur people are confiding in me about their family members. One of them, she was taken away from her child. And what's happening in these Uyghur camps, the Chinese internment camps, is, is that there's forced sterilization, they've told me about, and organ harvesting, and rape. The Biden administration only talks about forced labor, but forced sterilization and organ harvesting is so much worse. Anthony Harper, thank you for your time and your insights today at the Right Take Podcast. Great conversation. Please keep up the courageous work that you're doing. Well, I will. So help me God. Just another reminder to subscribe to the Right Take so you don't miss any of the great conversations we're having here. And if you like what you hear, please leave a review. Thank you and see you next time. The Right Take with Mark Tapson is a project of the David Horowitz Freedom Center and Front Page Magazine. Unauthorized reproduction of this podcast without express written consent is prohibited.